0: It's sometimes worth uh, just investigating your own uh, perceptions of the word meditation because this is a word that's used uh, a lot these days and it covers all kinds of things. So, we think we know what, we know generally it means something mental something you do with your mind and just to to observe how just a word like that uh, (coughs) what kind of uh, emotional reaction you have by how I use the word emotion uh, is is the kind of reactiveness to uh, stimulation or impingement either like if it's on the sense through the sense organs or through the mind itself, just like words, you can say say meditation, and and you might feel uh, some sense of interest, or you might feel aversion, like uh, Morris Walsh was saying last night, and he talked about the belly watching practice, how just something like that, back in the in the fifties, somebody said meditation or Burmese meditation, and and then the mind would react into, belly-watching, waste of time, uh, negative, uh, negative emotional reactions, I would call those. But those are, um, you know, when you're reflecting on the way things are, you can use, you can begin to see that, you can get a kind of, see what, what happens when somebody says something and you feel either you feel averse or you feel threatened or you feel interested or you feel indifferent or confused or you just don't know what they're talking about, at least you can be aware that that's of of, of how the power of words, concepts have on our mind. Meditation, the word itself can also mean, uh, it can be the way it's said, one can say meditation in a very positive way, so that it inspires, Or one can say meditation in a negative way. Say, oh no, you're not going to go and meditate again, are you? Is <laughs> a different, different one in, oh, let's, let's go and meditate together. Is a different, uh, that the, the context and the, and the emotion or attitude behind it, we feel. every year at Amaravati we have these two months winter retreats for the Sangha. And uh at first I started at Chitters before we acquired Amaravati and and of course in those days uh, we were a little more kind of you know, the kind of boot camp Marine Corps style of bhikkhus and so we thought it's just you know, kind of training for the Sangha, get in there and really you know, do these ascetic practices, and so I remember. You kind know, of, this is how we started these two-month retreats. were more like, like endurance marathons, and and what somehow, in the, that stage of our development, we thought that was really good for people. That was really helping them. And so, winter's meditation retreat for many people was, uh, when when you said the, the there's a two-month. Winter's retreat then you see you see some people recoiling, you know, <laughs> I don't know if I can take that again and because there are experiences uh, uh, on that where it, it can invade something difficult, something arduous, something painful. Uh, <coughs> that's the whole idea of a winter's meditation retreat was, was an ordeal is hard going. So even the words are t- relatively neutral aren't they, winter's meditation retreat can they're not like themselves they're they're fairly neutral words in the, the way one would perceive that is two months of you know sleepiness, misery, looking forward to the end of it and, you know trying to get something or trying to do something so so this uh, say I remember uh, at Amravati Giving one of these retreats, and uh, I thought, really, really make it difficult this year. So we sat till eleven o'clock every night, and we got up at three in the morning. And and then I began to notice the, that that uh, that there was a a lot of sickness, and that um, somehow there were a few kind of a certain kind of tough type of person that could take it and liked it. You know, they could, you kind of prove that you're, you can take it. But th- when you really asked them about insights and understanding the dumb after two months, they didn't have very much. <laughs> <laughs> they may, maybe confirmed the fact that they were, they were tough. <laughs> 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 but the ones that couldn't have were, were, you know, their worst fears were sure that they were weak and couldn't take it. And uh, so that, then I thought, well this is not, you know, this is not a result like the results of this, so changing the changing it to a, a different uh, we the words two months winters retreat we still use but now trying to use it more in a sense of of uh, supporting people in their practice rather than than driving people into 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 difficult times and 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 pushing them uh, in ways that they many of them can't can't cope. But to this day, to some people, winter's retreats still they still contract when they hear it, winter's retreats, because of the associations from the past. So that's the power, isn't it, of association of, of your experience or maybe what, what other people have told you. Maybe you've never been on a winter's retreat but you've heard from somebody else how difficult it is and so that just uh, the, the word winter's retreat can you can notice maybe some kind of feeling of contraction or feeling uh, that you're you know some negative emotional reaction or it can spark off, since oh, I can hardly wait some people really live the whole year for the winter's retreat So what I'm trying to point out is a way of reflecting on the way things are. You can, you can, you begin to see how, uh, you know, things that do, how how things do affect you as an experience. Like if something shocking comes to you, some news, some unpleasant news, uh, some surprise. It's, it's, you can, if you're mindful, you can see a a sense of shock, the, the body goes into... Uh, into a state of of contraction, you kind of go like this, and uh, and even though it's maybe a brief moment, yet it does have an effect on on our how we see things, how we uh, view our lives, and and sometimes we don't notice these things. We we're so used to ignoring or just trying to 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 act normal and not and try to get on with life. In, according to our habits that we're not really aware of the forces that have affected us in our lifetime so breathing and the meditation on breathing if you if you're really mindful of the breath if you're using uh, anapanasati as a way of say of developing mindfulness rather than just trying to concentrate and suppress everything if you're using it as as just a background a way of composing your mind and collecting yourself, in order to accept how you're feeling in, in the moment. So this is why uh, to reflect on actually how you are feeling when you say when you when you just dis- when you say it, on formal meditation practice is good. Uh, it's, it's recommended, and also in just daily life when you're in the office or in the house or or whatever and you, it's it's really very skillful to just take even if it's a minute just a minute to to ask yourself how you're really feeling just to notice maybe that you if you're feeling uh, you know depressed or angry or um, ag- agitated or aggravated or exasperated or indifferent or positive, or happy, whatever just to, to note that, just to, to, to train yourself to notice without judging, without uh, making any kind of comments about the feelings that you're having, that's unnecessary, you don't need to to comment, just to note, notice it and then too use the breath as, as a way of, of uh, being with that feeling the, the mood you're in so in that you're you're sustaining you're accepting you're sustaining attention on on your on the the mood of that you're you're experiencing at this time and concentrating on the breath help you to to do that you can you can and you and it's a way of getting caught in the proliferating tendencies of just making comments, emotional uh, proliferations and, and uh, getting caught up in the thinking uh, analytical uh, functions of your mind you're, trying to, to not, you're not trying to figure out why you, you feel the way you do it's not necessary to, to figure out why you're feeling this way it's, just, it's, 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 it's uh, wisdom to know this is the way you're feeling right now and it's this way when you start analyzing it then it gets complicated you know? feeling upset because this person didn't do their job properly and, and, uh, and on and on, maybe that's true but, but that's not what we need to know at this time we're not, we're not trying to make comments about the state of the world or anyone else's or one's own uh, faults or weaknesses but just noting Learning to, to be that which knows the, the, the mood of your mind, the mood of other, the atmosphere you're in. Now, this also with the breath and these grounding objects like the body, the breath. I also use the the sound of silence, the kind of ringing sound. If you notice, especially in the silence of a moment, you can hear kind of of uh, background ringing. It's not tinnitus.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: it has different it calls, cosmic sound, or give it a more kind of. Uh, uh, Exotic title, call it the nada. That's hmm. a part of the Sanskrit word for sound, or, but this also is a kind of when you're when you're aware, if you notice, and uh, when you're if you, as you begin to become aware of that as a as something you can use as a way of of turning to that uh, sound of silence. Will help you to. To say, drop whatever you're caught up into. If you're kind of whirled away in emotional reactions, and in worries, and and uh, proliferating tendencies, just uh, learning to to recognize the the sound of silence helps to to stop just the the kind of that that momentum that's caused that you that you're in. And if you sustain your attention for, I used to practice say, the count of nine or ten, I used to ex- uh, investigate if I was, uh, say, if I was in a really strong uh, kind of state, emotional state, and then I'd, then I'd be able to suddenly realize I'm really, you know, feeling of a strong emotions, and I, I accept that, I accept, you accept the, the way you are, the emotions you're in, you're not trying to get rid of them, but once you've seen them, as they are, they're this way, that's accepting, you're not, you're not commenting, you're not making comments about, you're not going into liking or disliking, it's just this way, the way it is, and then turning to the sound of silence helps to, say, let go of that, of that particular kind of mood or emotion. And I noticed that most of the time at the count of ten, the hardly can remember what I was uh, upset about (laughs) 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 now this is a practice of mindfulness, so it's not to be, it's not an act of repression, if we're just trying to get rid of moods and get away from things then it doesn't work it has to be done with with the right attitude, we're not trying to just run away from our feelings or ignore these uh, unpleasant uh, moods or emotions, but learning how to use them, how to work with them, so that that they're, you're really uh, using your, the flow of your life for your practice. It's not not just a just a you know your your meditation practice. Is it bec- so dependent upon ideal situations? Like if you if you depend on just uh, you know, ideal meditation situations where there's no harsh sounds and and uh, everything's kind of ordered, there's no demands made on you, there's no uh, you know no responsibilities at this time or you can just come into the meditation room and sit completely silent. And that's very nice, I admit we all like that. But then, one can't live in a place like that for very long, uh, and uh, and then most of our life isn't uh, isn't that under that much control. We have to we have to learn how to meditate, how to work with life in say in in the, in the family or in the in the office, in the factory, on the London Underground, on the <laughs> on the. You can do it. You can actually use situations <coughs> that uh, that are quite disruptive and harsh, if you if you determine, if you wisely reflect and see how to use maybe very difficult situations deliberately. Kind of saying, "This, I'm going to try to, to work with this. Try to use this particular thing as a not as a not in, as an egotistical thing of just. Well, I'm going to prove that I can overcome this. Beware of that, but." If if some of your life includes, say, some very difficult or or stressful situations, you can, by determining to use those with uh, uh, m- with mindfulness, you you'll find uh, that you can do it. You can uh, you can use uh, sometimes very very unpleasant, unwanted experiences, uh, and in, in some ways you'll even feel grateful to them because they, they kind of push you to the edge where you, you, you ha- either you're going to crack up, give up, or use some enlightened wisdom, push you to the edge where you're forced to being wise rather than stupid. Sometimes that's, that's what ha- we have to do, isn't it? It's so comfortable just going along in that kind of haze of, of habit and. Then life pushes us to the edge where we have to look at things in the Buddhist uh, scriptures, these are called the devaduttas or the heavenly messengers in the form of old age sickness and death and the uh, and the mendicant, because isn't it all of us are you know this, this, these experiences of all human beings, old age, the the changing from uh, from one age to the next, and the so that is that is a, that is something that is is a warning us, you know, to wake up. You don't have when you're young, you think, oh, I've got a whole life ahead of me, I've got plenty of time. You don't even notice old people very much when you're young. You think. You're not interested in them, you don't... You want to be with, with young people and people that, uh, you know, th- have this kind of sense of, of being young forever. And then as you get older, it becomes increasingly more apparent that you... No, I like to be with older people. I don't really like being with young people. <laughs> Because young people still have this 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 belief in eternity I mean it's not conscious in that but it's it's an attitude more than a kind of deliberate uh, view that one is holding it's just, it's, a, it's the the youthful karma sickness, another one, old age, sickness, death, the loss of loved ones and that's that's always a. Something does something that shakes us up when we lose, when our parents die, or someone, our spouse, or one of our children, or close friend, or anyone, anyone we know, or even anyone. You know, you hear that uh, maybe some well-known figure that you don't know dies. You still feel it in a way, don't you? Because you you may not know them personally, but you know about them. Then you hear about the death of, of all these uh, Bosnian people and you still feel something even though you don't, you, you've never met a Bosnian in your life. At least I have it. But they, uh, they still feel there's some sense of, you know, that this, is a, this is a part of our human experience. But the closer death comes, like, the, the, like say with parrot. Our parents, or people around us, and it has a much more strong effect on us. And that is seen as a as as a, a, a messenger, a heavenly messenger, rather than something that is uh, just seen a negative and depressing experience of life. And so by say with, with illness, with loss of loved ones, with the aging process, with the changing conditions, with, with your own uh, sense of, of confusion or anxiety or worry uh, that you have, you can work with that. Not, not to take the idea that you have to get rid of it. Like say with worry, if you, we, we all want to get rid of worries, we'd like, we'd, you know, most of us, would like to to not have to worry about anything, and so uh, theres oftentimes how people say, "How do I get rid of worrying? How can I stop this and, and not worry anymore and so this this is you know it's something that that uh, we all do and that is uh, very you know of a very very uh, painful unpleasant uh, experience of life, wherever we go we can worry, we can be here at Leicester and worrying about what's going on at home. Read the newspaper, you're worrying about what's going to happen to Yugoslavia. You can worry about Prince Charles and Princess Diana. So be able to note that that mental that mood of worry. If you can, when you find yourself worrying, to to observe, it's this to 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 admit that there is worry now. There's this sense of worrying about something. What is it like as a mood? This is a feeling uh, that you're having. The kind of mood that 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 you feel now from worrying about something. It's this way. And you can, uh, if you, when you develop that sense of the sound of silence, you can hear the ringing silence with that, with that mood, and the breath. And it helps to 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 accept the way it is. You're grounded. You're you're with the way it is. You're not running away. You're not you're not uh, uh, trying to get out of anything. You're not. There's no. There's no. There's no kind of wrong things being done. It's merely a learning how to skillfully. Use the uh, the the experience of your life at this moment, and by doing that, more and more the, these kind of the you're you're taking away the the power of these negative, especially these negative uh, tendencies of the mind. Because if you if you never do this, if you just suppress negativity, uh, and try to be positive about everything, you can. You can do that so long, and then then you get crushed by the, all the kind of tensions you create in trying to to get away from negativity. It all comes kind sometimes rebounding and and back and backlash of just feeling total despair and depression because of of uh, so much effort in trying to be happy and positive. But with this, say this this type of way of meditating, you can. You're, you're releasing your karmic connection to these forces. You're not making, by, by abandoning them, by letting go, by understanding, you're actually not making any personal karma with them. So with karma, when you make karma, you're doing it when you indulge in it and when you suppress it. Those are the, those are the karma-making ones. Indulgence and suppression. But mindfulness is, allows what has arisen to cease. You're actually letting what has come up in your consciousness, what you're experiencing in consciousness, you're letting it go, you're letting it cease. So it's, it's even compassionate. It's like you've suddenly just been very, very kind. Uh, say before you were, when you thought you were kind, you weren't. Any kind of negative state came up and you, you just kind of push it away or you you just get caught in it and make yourself miserable and and make other people miserable and then and then you and then you're trying to suppress it, and get rid of it. So you're endlessly having a battle with with yourself with the negative uh, tendencies of your mind. And in any battle, there's always these tensions and and and, uh, and you can you know when you're healthy and and that you can you you can suppress things a lot easier but then when you health you lose your health or or as you get older and things like this your ability to to control and suppress diminishes which is a good thing i don't think it's just you're getting senile and useless <laughs> old age has its advantages in fact it is uh, you, you 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 know you get you you don't. You can't. You don't have that that energy to, to control and hold things back. So you, instead of just becoming uh, uh, caught in, in in just these re- emotional reactions, you use them and, and as skillful means for resolving your karma, letting it go. So from the, the, uh, the ground, the, you've noticed, to, to reiterate, the, the breath, the body, the sound of silence, these, are, these will ground you, they'll, 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 bring you in, they'll, they'll bring you into the present, just, you, can, you can, here and now, Dhamma, this is the way it is now, because mm-hmm. these things are happening right now, this is the way it is now, or well, for all of us, it's not individual anymore, not personal then say as you and this will also help you to look at what is personal in a way that you're looking at it as an object rather than, than as the person who's who, who has become these conditions so you your feelings of anger or resentment or greed or confusion uh, rage, jealousy, all of these can be... you're, you're seeing them as, as, as a mood, as a feeling, as, a, as something that has arisen. And that which can see them is what? That which knows, you see. That's, that's what I call the, the refuge in the Buddha. That ability to know things as they are. That is not... that never gets depressed. Or angry. It 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 knows anger. It knows depression as an object. And so, in any moment, there's this saying: refuge in Buddha. There's this, uh, this that act of knowing it, of accepting it for what it is. Is not that that's that's a clarity. That's that's mental clarity. That's Buddha. That's that's you. That's you u- are using our conscious experience with wisdom. And therefore, whatever you're feeling, you can accept it. You're not, you don't. You're no, no longer taking it personally, and therefore, you're no longer complicating your, your mind with uh, moral judgments, uh, disparaging views, or feeling of despair. If you if you have if you have a anger or or maybe not very nice feelings and if you take it personally, then you end up feeling despair or feeling that you're not a very nice person. But seen from this way, you're seeing it as, uh, you're developing it as path knowledge, as the middle way. Now, even though you can understand what I'm saying, there's still the doubting mind will come in and, and your, your conditioned mind will, will always uh, be making comments about this. Because it's it's conditioned to doubt and to to uh, you know have a go at you and, and make you and try to delude you. So you really be aware of that tendency of doubting or not being sure. You you'll doubt what you're doing. Am I doing it right? Am I really being mindful? Am I? Is this what Ajahn Sumedho was talking about? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, come in, to, you know, to kind of. Delude you and make you can uh, get you carried away with with being confused and uncertain. in the sutras the Buddha was even after his enlightenment, Mara would would come and tempt him. Don't forget that no, no thing you know even after his enlightenment, Mara would would have a go seeing if he, he could get the Buddha to doubt something or And the Buddha was always saying, I know you, Mara, that way of knowing, isn't it? It's, you know, this doubting, this, this, uh, these kind of uh, uh, subtle uh, feelings that we can have in our life. Oftentimes worldly things can be, be so important. Worldly problems have such are, can be so important in themselves. You know, and uh, they have great, and we empower them all the time. They, they, worldly conditions can seem so urgent, uh, and and they and that you, they, they you feel you have to you have to really be concerned with this. You have to be worried about this. If you're not worried about the state of the world or worried about the problems of your family, you're not a caring, loving responsible person the worst fears of your family is that you've become one of those Buddhists that goes off and sits under a tree meditates on their belly and doesn't care anymore about what happens to the family or the world doesn't care what happens to Britain or anything else it's just you've just gone beyond it and that's uh, that's people do see that accuse us of doing that because the world does seem important and our family's problems are important to us but importance recognize that importance and urgency are conditions that arise in consciousness so in this way of reflection we're not not, uh, saying that something isn't important we're not denying the importance of any worldly issue or worldly condition but we're putting it in a perspective that we're not just kind of emotionally uh, mesmerized and deluded by the urgent, important quality of a worldly condition. Have you had, ever had anybody come up to you? Uh, there was one monk, I remember, he used to have this, uh, this this sense of urgency all the time. Whenever he said anything, it was, he had this kind of force behind his presentation. He used to come up to me and he says, Archon Tomato. Yes. Archon <laughs> Tomato, did you know that that monk has been uh, going off, leaving the monastery in the afternoon without telling any of the senior monks?
1: <laughs> Suddenly,
0: you, you, you can see your mind going, How dare he? That's. Caught in there. Caught in there. The power this 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 monk could make something like that sounds so, you know, so urgent, and you've got to do something about it. You can't stand for this. This has gone too far. <laughs> and and then you find yourself so easily pulled into that. It's the the power of of somebody else's feelings. And so maybe that one mean but sometimes there are situations that are a very urgent and and very important and we have to make immediate decisions about them but that does but this kind of meditation doesn't deny that or it's not suppressing that but it's putting it in a perspective in which you're much more capable of dealing with it than just being caught into a kind of panic and and the power of of a, somebody else's mood or the the, the worldly condition in it, in its uh, kind of urgent quality, you can you, you can you can be you can develop a coolness and, a, and an openness to it, in which you're much more able to respond to to urgent situations, if you're not just blinded by the, the this uh, kind of uh, this, the the power of a, of a con- of a worldly condition. So we train in the monastery. We train ourselves. We use these situations, and more and more, you find monastics becoming more and not not being so easily deluded by the by the the uh, problems of the sangha and the, the panic and the and the hysteria that that sometimes uh, various members are experiencing. It's like with the the saying yesterday, with the monks several monks disrobing and then the then the then the panic. It's falling apart. It's not working, this kind of thing is I was quite p- pleased to see how many members of the Sangha could work with that feeling. I no, at least they're because I mean in some way all of us were feeling that, but it was when things don't seem to go right or sudden suddenly kind of surprise the unwanted things happen. It's easy to go into that state of panic. And to use that that feeling of of being panic-stricken or that is is good practice, because if you really accept the feeling of it and use the the breath and the sound of silence with it, you can put it in its perspective. It, it, the, the, the energy will you'll cool down, you'll not be just, you'll not be caught in just acting blindly on on that kind of uh, e- uh, emotional experience and then you, then you realize that life is like this people, monks ordain, monks disroll the breath goes in, the breath goes out <laughs> what comes together separates that's just the law of nature and then you can see any attachments like I don't want monks to Israel, I want them to stay. <laughs> or you can see you know your own personal kind of thing. You know, how could he do that to me? <laughs> We've been friends for so long and he just does that. How could he how can you do that to me? <laughs> You're seeing it in perspective of of uh, of it of as it is. It's it's you know, you're you're accepting the way it is. And you're also it's also reflecting the way it is, like your own personal feelings or whatever. Then we had then we noticed like when these monks disroll then and some people are trying to be very honorable and noble about it. You know, we must remember all the good they've done for the Sangha. So you're sitting there and somebody says well, I'll always think of him as my first meditation teacher. He, was, he helped me so much. And all those years he spent in helping the Sangha grow here in England, going to the let's be noble and understanding and forgiving, which is also very good. But also, one has to recognize how you're actually feeling. You know, so that, that there's this too, there's the, there's the uh, you know, how we should feel, how we should, how we should respond and then there's the actual way of feeling which might be very different. So we might think, yes I, I must forgive and, and we all make mistakes and, and he, he, you know, he's a very good monk and gave a lot to the song, which is true and then, then the feeling of,
1: <laughs>
0: and the feeling of how could he do that? that? was a rotten thing to do.
1: <laughs>
0: so when you see that, that, uh, that, that we feel, well, there's a the kind of there's a side of us that's very noble and wants to be very understanding and very good about it and, and uh, which is to, you know, something to value in yourself Not to I'm not trying to put that down or or make fun of it, but recognize that, that that's one aspect, that's one way of feeling it. But you also want to accept the way you maybe feel uh, about it on, on another level, of just emotional uh, disappointment, or or the way you tend to, where well, you can blame yourself, maybe you can say, oh, maybe I should have, I should have, I should have been more aware of that, that maybe there was something wrong maybe i should i should have been more understanding uh maybe i you know the, the sense of blaming yourself or thinking you didn't do enough uh, self blame or then then the tendency to 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 blame the person well he he knew better than that and he just you know despicable behaviors betraying the sangha and, and so that these are these are things one can feel these in in uh, in various ways, in, in different attitudes, from the the noble forgiveness and understanding and gratitude to the very personal feeling of betrayal and and disillusionment. But what, but recognize that you're you're accepting the whole lot. You're, it's not up to you to choose which one uh, you're going to feel right now. You're noticing what you're actually feeling, even if it even if you're feeling terribly hurt and personally disillusioned but you don't want to be like that maybe you don't want to be that kind of a person you'd rather be like you know the very noble one and you can see this, these are just the, the, the emotional reactions to a situation and you're accepting them in, the, in, the, in the, the accepting them non-judgmentally and then the way we respond is to do what is right we determine to, in in our active side of life, we determine to do what is right. What is the good and proper way to respond to this situation? Maybe we don't want to do it. <laughs> Some part of us doesn't want to do what's right. We want to, maybe you know, I I have a I have a tendency to want to. Uh, Seek revenge.
1: <laughs>
0: so, I mean, that, that's one of my tendencies. I want to make them pay for it. And the, but that's not what I'm going to do. That's not what I, that's not what I intend to, to act upon. But one has to, one, one can admit those kind of feelings and resolve them. In that way, you can, you can see you're liberating your mind from, from holding things, or dishonesty, or refusal to really admit how you're feeling, and, and, uh, or being afraid to. Maybe you're afraid of your own feelings, so you, you just, you know, I don't dare feel that, because it, I just, it would, you feel you'd be taken over by, by some kind of negative state. But you can take, you can, you, you feel, as, uh, when you trust in this practice, you can, you can uh, feel, you're willing to feel it. And by doing that, it has no power. It's, it's, it has, it is not, it can't take you over. It has no, you're, you're disempowering it. Not as an act of, of, not as a willful act to destroy, but, but delusion, ignorance has power over you as long as you de- it keeps you deluded, doesn't it? Fear. If I can make you afraid of me, I have power over you. But as soon as you're not afraid of me anymore, I
1: don't...
0: <laughs> no, that's how tyrants work. They, they keep you in a state of, you know, fear, and then, the, then they have tremendous power to manipulate you like you could see as uh, Soviet Communism how could that lasted from what 1918 to 1991 or 1990 and and uh, it was using fear which you know to frighten everybody into everybody was frightened nobody dared complain or do anything to resist or rebel because there was but one thing when under stalin they, they just murdered millions of people and that's frightening isn't it i mean that when once you know that i mean everybody must have been affected by that in some way in the soviet union they must have they must have uh, you know That could happen to me. So you, you shut up. And you don't. You just go along with, with whatever, just to survive. And now you see, the, suddenly it collapses because that that kind of thing is uh, it can is not. It, you can't sustain anything. It's not. It's out of balance. It can. You can only. You can only use methods like that and control people for. You know, for a certain amount of time and then it, then it doesn't work anymore because people suddenly awaken they're not going to put up with it they're not going to you can't intimidate or frighten them anymore they'll resist and one feels that in the world now that, that there is more of that happening like these uh, people demanding their rights and people not, not willing to just be oppressed so easily by uh, tyrants And apply that also within yourself, like the internal tyrant, the that in you which is always uh, uh, kind of pushing and nagging and and criticizing. I mean, we do it to ourselves. It starts from in here. And and uh, but we also we quite we quite we oftentimes you know that's we're doing that. That tyranny starts from within the mind not that it just suddenly happens that somebody uh, some external uh, person, tyrant arrives that's, that's the result of of an inner tyranny that has never been recognized or resolved and as long as people are subject to that then you can tyrannize them externally but awakened people isn't it? awakened human beings the Buddha is the awakened one it's a, it's a symbol for Human being who's awake. I don't mean just awake, not asleep, (laughs) but awake. I mean aware, seeing things as they are, because otherwise we, even though we think we're awake, we're we're caught in in momentum of habitual uh, of of, of our habits. You can see how easy it is just to, whenever you're, whenever you feel threatened or anxious or ill at ease, what do you do? You tend to eat something or drink something or watch the television or go for a ride in the car or get to talk to somebody on the telephone. Or, I mean, there's some way to, to distract yourself from that feeling of just not being certain or ill at ease or, or despairing in some way. And then maybe you know, in, in a crisis or difficult thing, we're frightened of what others think. We're we're worried about being blamed. We're we're we dread being criticised or or humiliated or exposed to to the to others. We there's this tremendous fear. As long as we as long as we don't resolve these kind of fears, then we we can be manipulated, blackmailed, and controlled both internally and externally so, th- so that the the aim of the Buddha was to awaken the human being to what their true nature is so your true nature is not ignorant deluded worried frightened <laughs> that's not that's not what you are that, 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 when you think you are those things, then then of course you 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 tend to become like that, the becoming process. You you act like that. And you 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 react like that. But as you see it in the in this in the light of Dhamma, then then you're not. You realize that's not you. It's Anattā. Not self. It's not. That's not mine. Think like. In uh, say just monastic life, say as a as a lay layman, there is was you know, I was brought up in a very uh, kind of Christian family. Uh, so that my parents were very uh, morally responsible people, and and very uh, very good Christians. But also, one was brought up in a, in a in a world that was. Idealized, and and one tended to to identify with very high and noble goals for oneself. And then, because of this, the dark side, as they say in modern psychology, was was suppressed. Because you find out, as, especially in puberty, and and as you're getting older, you you there's some side of you that frightens you, and 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 you uh, and and you become quite you can become quite paranoid about it. I remember when I was about twelve years old or something, uh, I was on uh, public transport, and uh, I lived in uh, Seattle. And uh, suddenly, I, I was I had this overwhelming desire to to do the most atrocious things, like murder babies, and and do a really horrendous kind of of. Uh, Atrocities, and so I thought that's terrible. You know, I thought it must be uh, some evil force in me. I must be a bad person, because only bad people would ever have such such uh, impulses. I imagine. I couldn't imagine a good person ever having such an impulse or thought. And so I, I remember being very terrified by that, and. Uh, I didn't do anything with it. I didn't go and murder anyone, but but it did 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 shock me into realizing there's something, you know, frightening about life that I never saw before. And and then at that age, it's very personal. You take it on a very personal level. So there's this tremendous fear of myself after that. Fear of of things that were in me that might that that would if if let loose would be very. Uh, destructive. So, then in in uh, say in, in young. Unfortunately, I I didn't have very much of that. But there were there were certain you know unresolved things in one's life that that and say before I became a monk led to just a feeling of being very. Uh, Unfulfilled in life, and very frightened and anxious about the future, and very depressed. Really, by the time I was thirty, I was quite—I felt just a general despair and depression uh, and disappointment. Then, in monastic life, with the effect of meditation, these these things can have, can uh, were resolved. These, when one could put them in a perspective that you can accept them, and and they—they're they're all part of your they they are all seen in terms of dhamma they all help you to to liberate your mind even such uh, atrocious thoughts as that seen in the perspective of dhamma are still conditions arising and ceasing so they they all take you to cessation and to realization so then you can then you can have confidence that whatever you're feeling you can feel and and you can look at it in in terms in in this way of buddha seeing the dhamma which, and if you trust in that, if you really take refuge in that then there's nothing to fear because the fear comes on the personal level, isn't it it's uh, the fear of, of, of it of being overwhelmed by these things or the fear of maybe one's and something ro- is wrong with oneself or fear of uh, being weak or fear of... of uh, the aging process, or sickness, or death, all these fears come from the, from the attitude of a self, the, the illusory self-view. And then the, in terms of Dhamma, they're all seen as, as developing the middle way, the eightfold path. See, so you're changing. Very, you can shift just from, from me and mine and my problems to the eightfold path and recognize that karma of our humanity is that we we have to accept the way it is, the human body, you have to accept your body the way it is you don't have to, but I recommend <laughs> <laughs>
1: which
0: is not which is not loving or hating it, it's just this way and so you, you, you like in Gaya Nupasana, you, you really with your body, and, and uh, with its uh, pain, or with its uh, discomforts, or whatever, or with it, because it also can be quite pleasurable things. So yeah, but the body is this way. You're, you're, you're you're, allow, you're, you're reflecting on the body as Dhamma, rather than commenting it as self, commenting upon it as yourself. Then the, then the. Uh, Vedana jitta, of, of looking at mental, mental, just uh, the attraction, aversion, and neutral uh, conditions that you, that impinge on you and that you experience, and then the the mood, the 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 uh, emotional mood of the mind, positive, negative, indifferent. then you can, then, then with the breath, the sound of silence so this, then you, you have, through this way of reflecting then, then all the personal karma can be seen in terms of Dhamma what arises ceases and, and, and letting, what you're feeling right now is what has arisen, isn't it what, say, what you're conscious of at this moment is what has arisen already like if you're feeling, whatever you're feeling right now and if you accept it, that which has arisen, you can, you can, you can let it go and it ceases. So there's the knowing of its, of its presence and its absence. And then this, this way, this, this is the, the, say in the refuge of Buddha Dhammasanga, you are practicing, you are the Supatipanna, or the one who's practicing in the right way. Any questions?
1: It can be very shaky, can't you, when thoughts arise? like you said, when you thought about killing babies and stuff like that, but at 12, I mean, that's not the you know. Sometimes it, uh, we're in situations where we definitely think we should behave differently. We do have power over behaving, but we don't necessarily have the power over that thought as it first breaks. And I'm wondering whether, I know for myself sometimes, living in a community that's similar to Emma and I have great empathy there. Sometimes
0: thoughts arise that you don't really think in a rational way, but you should be capable of thinking. <laughs> I know it's, it's um, <laughs> <laughs> but I see, consider that uh, an improvement because I realise.
1: Really. <laughs> <laughs> because
0: that means your meditation is having a good effect. Mm. You're you're willing to accept things that before you wouldn't. Except, I and mean, look at your life. You probably, you know, you had it, when you had more control of your life, living you know, outside the community. Then there's a lot of you can you can uh, you have more more you can control things a lot better according to the way you want life to be. A community, like Sharfim, you have to more or less take it as it is, and and that one also release a lot of maybe. Uh, emotions that you that you've never had to really look at. And but by that by seeing it in a positive way you you, you let them go. You're resolving those things. It's
1: surprising sometimes how
0: deep they can yeah. go <laughs> <laughs> well like like I saw when my father died, he was ninety and uh, he'd been um, a man that had uh, always controlled everything very much and he was very good on the worldly and worldly things like he he had a very he was very well organized and and could uh, do things well and keep everything in order and so on the worldly level he, he is successful and he and he could uh, and he had confidence and very very confident but as he got older and uh, the last 10 years of his life were utter hell because he lost the ability to control things and uh, and he just got depressed he he, had, he didn't have much internal resource uh, to him Christianity was external ceremonies they were high church Anglicans and they were he was master of ceremonies and he, he trained all the altar boys and And you know he was an expert on on ceremony in Anglo-Catholic Church in in America, and so he uh, and he. But as far as uh, internalization of Christianity, there I don't think there's hardly anything. (laughs) And uh, and I just watched the last ten years of his life. He had good health up till about eighty, and then it all started collapsing, and and there was bitterness and anger. And, 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 as he, and more and more he became uh, childish and he and was a man who had, you know, always impressed me as being, you know, the kind of strong, confident male figure that has all the answers and nothing, you know, knows what he's doing. Suddenly he's just collapsing and you know, you know, weeping and, and uh, whining and blaming and all the rest. Is it is a pretty, very uh, sad to see. But you see, he never resolved those things. In, and then it, when, it, when it got to be, you know, getting into his 80s, he didn't, he didn't know how to resolve them. And, and he ended up being almost totally paralyzed, you know, not being able to move. But the, uh, so that's why I see in, in our own lives, Sometimes you will feel kind of like baby-like emotions coming up, you know. You, you, know, you, you, know you, you know, you, you you, you, know, on the level of being being your self-image, it's rather disconcerting. It? <laughs> you, you'd like to not have to feel those things, but in another way, it's a, it's a it's a purification, because a lot of that stuff has been just held down. It's not allowed to surface, until maybe it's too late, but to say, at your age, it's, it's the perfect age for releasing, <laughs> well,
2: resolving them. What a wonderful opportunity of observing your friend.
3: What is it in people that try to goad you into anger? As a teacher, I've gone into the school today you and know, I think this is going to be a calm day. <laughs> and there's always quite a few people who know how to, you know, get at me and, and do it, just to make me lose my cool all the time. Is that a good for me? It always used to happen. And, you know, it was to get you off your dignity, to bring you down, really. You know? And it was fun. <laughs> for them. <not laughs> for them. <laughs> <laughs> do you mean children, did it or adults? I mean children, children. Do more obviously than adults. I expect
0: adults do as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well. children love to uh, to uh, get the adults going. <laughs> <laughs>
4: And uh, adults can
3: play power games, which can be... Yeah,
0: as yeah.
3: Well. You also see people who are afraid of children. Mm. Quite right. <laughs> <laughs> it seems, it seems, you know, i afraid of teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always concerned too with anger in a similar situation, too, um, about expressing it. I'd say there are times
4: I've had, so that in my work, where it's actually hard, this, this point beyond which you can't go, and it's how to express it, Us being aware of what the emotion is, but being effective, but not being destructive. And that's something I'm always tussling with, actually, and trying to get the right to the balance. It's quite difficult, particularly if you're having to react in the heat of the moment.
0: <laughs> but that's also, I mean, that's a very good point you're making. Yeah. So, like, it's all right to tell people, like, I'm I'm angry, <laughs> yes. because that in a way that's uh, that's important for people to to know that because some people don't uh, are so insensitive they don't they don't even notice yes. and so and and so if you if you never tell them then they. I mean, sometimes you know we all sometimes are so caught up in what we're doing, we don't we don't realize that that we might be driving somebody in you know, really into a lot of anger. and and that kind of feedback helps, I think, other people. I found it helpful when people tell me those things because sometimes you you don't realize that what you're saying or doing is is uh, something that. That it's causing them a lot of grief. <coughs> so you
4: have to express it.
0: Yes. But to 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 you know to say it try you know, your de- make your determination, your intention one of of saying it rather than just using it as a against the person, you see, then then that's honest and skillful
4: But you can tell someone that you're angry, and it's like, off and <laughs> yeah. um, you know, they laugh they at you, and they say, you don't really mean it because you don't get angry, but you say, I am angry. <laughs> and it isn't until you actually sort of show, not just tell them, it seems sometimes, you actually have to show that you are. You are in that angry emotion. Now, who hope that's good, bad, or what it is, but sometimes it's the only thing that works. Right. And, uh, uh, I have a, a 97-year-old mother you know, and it's like a, a, a small child sometimes and and she will laugh me and say, no, you're not angry, <laughs> yeah, but I yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and then you feel like you are. <laughs> you go outside and punish yourself because you've shown that you're angry. But I, I think sometimes it's, it, it is the only way to get you. <clears throat> right. And if it was, it would be lovely just say that I'm angry, and people would understand it, or that you were really hurt or upset by something you know, that, that that has happened, to and uh, they haven't deliberately done it. But when they do it again, the second time, or maybe the third time, and you've spoken about it, well, then something just blurs, uh, is not it? And that way, sometimes it gets, it, it does get through. Whether that's right or not, I don't
0: know. So. Well, that you have to, you know, the thing, like what I've been talking about is to, to try to work with these things but not but also we have to trust in the, in the situation itself you know in the, in the in the in the heat of the moment or the actual moment as is we we have to trust in our response to it mm. and sometimes we maybe make the wrong we react badly or whatever but then we we learn you know you keep not not to get caught in despair because you, your ideal is not to show anger and then you do it because then then you're always, you know, every time you, you, you show anger, you're going to, feel oh I'm hopeless. But, but if you reflect on it, and sometimes that's showing anger is, is helpful. Because it's, it's uh, it really, you know, like, like if, like a child walking across a, a, a thoroughfare, you know, you, you have to really make it clear that they can't do that, you know, in kind of physical ways. And uh, and the kind of people that think you should never hit a child, you know, ideally, uh, uh, you know, that that's an ideal uh, that that is, you know, based on good intentions. But sometimes a good slap is a <laughs> very helpful thing. <laughs> it's just if if you know that that uh, that. Uh, And it makes you know it makes makes your point clear. Uh, People sometimes don't hear you unless unless you do uh, really put a lot of exclamation marks. (laughs) Yeah, I have. I make this uh,
4: experience quite often. You know, when I'm really angry, I can't help it. I I just burst, and then I say, "Oh well." Gone too far, but then in the end it has a clearing effect because the other person reacts. Oh, she is angry, and
0: that clears the whole thing. Because with anger, if you if you if you know if you don't know how to to deal with it, then really you end up you just become uh, neurotic and suppressed and and. and then, it, and then it comes out in various uh, distorted ways, neurotic ways. Where I think all of us understand anger, don't we? <laughs> 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 it's, uh, it's something every human being experiences. But somehow you feel it's wrong when it's blind anger. It, it, uh, it, sometimes it, it rushes up on you and it, it
4: bursts before you. Uh, and that's when saying, you feel so what the margin is coming. I shall see it coming, and you uh, don't sometimes.
3: But that's, that's it. It's right. that, happened, it's over, yeah. like, and, right. and that was that moment. But doesn't that make things the age? <laughs> <laughs> no. No. <laughs> <laughs> sure. sure. I don't think it makes things the age of it. But it's right. a question, I think, of limiting the effect of the anger rather than the anger itself. Oh, I so,
4: the anger have yes. uh, <laughs> I have a rule in meetings and work that anger is OK, providing
3: only one person at a time gets angry. <laughs> <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's fine while you're controlling the situation. Mm-hmm. No, you can't agrees. control
2: it. Yes, yeah.
3: everyone no, but since they're all too Perhaps you spend
1: more time making other people angry when you're away you're <laughs> <laughs> one gets the more one realizes that the one is surrounded by idiots i see how my
2: And a lot of people came in, I think, to make trouble deliberately because it was an Asian speaking in the chair and so on. And to find people insulting the people that you respect tremendously mm-hmm. and feeling absolutely unable to do anything about it without making more trouble, you didn't want to send for the police if at all possible. And you know, I was absolutely boiling. And then I thought, well, what can I do? I'll invite that objectionable in front of me this young man to come and have a cup of coffee with me afterwards if he's on his own he won't be as troublesome well i mean it'll be a one-to-one business rather than you know whatever whatever it is and you know my anger disappeared like that when i could think of something to do about it the only trouble was at the, the end there were two older men at the back who were inciting these younger ones. And if the police had come in, of course, they, the police would have gone to the younger ones, and the old men at the back would have got out of it. So I went and told them what I thought of them. By that time, this young man that I was going to take out for a cup of coffee had disappeared. And once he got outside, I couldn't tell each from which. I, at least it did resolve my anger. which is not often I feel furious like that. But at the same time i felt i'd learned something by the situation find something positive if you can to do about it i'm only sorry that i wasn't able to but uh, there we are it wasn't a solution for the time being anyway
0: well i didn't like indignation and there's a lot of i think many of us have had to work with that the sense to have just you know seen unfairness or
2: just na right, really you
0: know ugly nastiness uh, oh. and, and injustice and one one can get really outraged at that but the but that's what all this is is when once we begin to to work with it you see and then if, then we find out ways of, of dealing with it of of uh, responding to to because each situation is unique you know it's you can't make a, a rule and say I will always do this because you have to take into like mindfulness bring, gets, allows you to take into the, into the contributing cooperative causes of a situation. like you can't say uh, like the, the old question about for conscientious objectors, what would you do if your mother was being attacked by a maniac? And, I mean but that also has cooperating causes around it and, and, and so you can't make you can't say what you'd do. In a situation where those causes aren't present, but if you're mindful, you can, uh, by being aware of the existing causes, you can respond in a way that isn't just a reactive, a reaction based on aversion, but would be, say, appropriate to that particular circumstance. Because what you like, what you happened to you was 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 a good thing to do. Would it? You know, even though you couldn't do it the way they did, you did resolve that feeling in yourself because you you saw how to you know what would be the right way to respond to it. Where maybe before that you just wanted to say, "Get out of here! We don't want we don't want you here."
2: (laughs) I'm only sorry I couldn't carry it through, though, because I'm quite sure if I listened to what he said. And then you'd sort of put in a few ideas. Did you know about this? Did you know about something else? I mean, he'd been fed ideas by all these these other <coughs> troublemakers, mm-hmm. really, it happened, hasn't he?
0: Well, I remember in in when I was a child, we lived in uh, uh, in a part of uh, Seattle where most of us were white Protestants. <coughs> And uh, middle-class people, and then there were then there was, uh, and amongst those, there's always a measure of anti-Semitism. So, so that there were also Jewish people at that time in the 40s. The Jews moving over from escape Europe, and they were were would come and, and live in, in our in our neighbourhood then. Then I became, then I noticed that, like, uh, there was some, like, some of the children had, uh, had these anti-Semitic uh, feelings towards the Jewish children. And uh, fortunately, my parents were not anti-Semitic, so they, they would never let me talk in that way. So, so I remember going home and saying something anti-Semitic, my parents saying, you should never say that, that's very wrong, and so forth. So they 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 didn't say it in anger, but they were telling me that, that was that was not uh, right. And so then then because of that, I would when I'd go out and play with the other children and they'd talk about I'd say that's not right. You shouldn't talk that way. And after a while all of them stopped doing it, and we started the 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 children, Jewish children were playing with us, you know, just as ordinary children playmates. But it just through that kind of Suggestion: Children are open, and and but uh, some, some. If you just keep affirming prejudices, then, then they have no way of seeing through it. Then, once you started playing together, then you, then you were relating to each other as individuals rather than <laughs> the <With a> skills. <laughs> <laughs> and suddenly, the old Jewish question is a non-problem,
3: yeah.
0: disappeared.
3: May I tell us his story, um, how a long time ago we had a Spaniel, we lived in uh, Kent. And one uh, day, our oh oldest old son, not very old then, he was about ten. He and uh, there was, He'd taken his homework into the lunch which he should not do. Um, my husband was very particular about these things, they had to do their homework at the proper place. And, um, I don't think he was terribly fond of children, actually, but he's not he his best. Anyway, uh, Mike was doing his uh, homework, and he got the pen and flipped it, uh, annoyance, out the wallpaper. Well, the wallpaper was quite new. We had recently moved in. So I frantically said, take that pen, out quickly, Michael!" And my and frantically tried to do, put something in where the awful that was. You did always do it. So when my husband came in, they all walked together, and it was just the um, radio in those days, not television wasn't talking. Oh, yes, I'm sorry, if all the television comes into the story. Um, so, when my husband came in, I was a little nervous, and I hope he doesn't see a terrible splash of acreage. I was trying to get it off the crust. And um, anyway, he came in, and um, he noticed. First of all, he noticed what Michael had been doing. See? The city. Uh, and then he noticed most of us noticed the splash, and it really was bad. And um, he stopped it, you know, very really, being really crossed why the happy guys him, why this, why that? And the atmosphere was getting a bit angry. The television was on and our Spaniel had come in. And during the time that he was going on we hadn't noticed him until Sunday. Um, Christopher and my other friends started to laugh. And he said, Look at Teddy. And there was, it, it, there was an investment ball that so went up and down. And he was sitting in front of the television doing things. And the whole situation dissolved. And we never said any more about it. <laughs>
4: the pain somewhere else, <laughs> like the old theory of cupping and leaf.